Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to follow up on, on uh, what I talked about this morning. Uh, go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, the first chapter. And in verse number seven, Paul said, just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart. This is Philippians 1, seven. Because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. And as I mentioned this morning, the older King James said, you are partakers of my grace. The new King James says the same thing, but just says it a little differently. Uh, and so he was talking to the church there at Philippi, and he said, you are partakers of my grace. You're partakers with me of a particular grace. The grace of God that was on the apostle Paul's life was upon this church because he ministered uh, according to the grace of God that was given to him. And we read this morning, we won't look at them again tonight if you were here this morning. If you weren't here this morning, if you were perhaps in a children's department somewhere, you really need to get this morning's message and, and, and this week and play it, listen to it because the Lord has something to say to us about our mission and our vision as a church going forward that we need to, we need to get clarity on. And so I'm really uh, urging and asking everybody to, uh, to listen to these messages. And, and we talked about the fact that Paul perceived, Paul had a, a consciousness and, un, and an understanding that he had received a special uh, grace and a special uh, uh, revelation concerning the word of God. In fact, in Colossians, he, he admits, he said it was given to me, talking about himself, he said it was given to, to me to fulfill the word of God. In other words, to, full, to complete the revelation of God. This complete revelation was not given to the other apostles of the Lamb. It was not given to John, was not given to Peter, wasn't given to the rest of them. It was given to the Apostle Paul. That's why his epistles uh, dominate the New Testament. And uh, uh, most of the teaching of the, uh, of the church derives from Paul's uh, epistles. And, and that's not, you understand, I'm not discounting the other epistles. All scriptures give them inspiration of God. But he talked about the fact that, that uh, he had been commissioned and he had been given grace to go to the Gentiles, whereas Peter, for instance, had been graced to go to the Jews. And uh, time and again, he talked about my gospel, the gospel that was given to me. Over in Galatians, he talked about the fact that, that this, the gospel that I preach, he said, I didn't receive it from men. In other words, he wasn't taught it by uh, uh, listening to the other apostles that had been with the Lord. Je uh, Paul didn't follow the Lord during his earthly ministry. He was, uh, he was a non-believing Jew, and in the early days of the church, he persecuted the church. He was against Christ and against the message of, of Christianity. And uh, on the road to Damascus, all of that changed. He had an encounter with God. 
And then, and the Lord revealed things to him then, and then there were more things that, that he revealed to him. And he said, I'm going to make you a man. On that day, on, that, on the road to Damascus, he said, I will make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen this day and the things that I will yet reveal to, to you. And, and I will send you to, to the people. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, from the Gentile people, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan unto God that they may receive uh, remission of sins and their inheritance. And, uh, and so he talked about the gospel that he received. He got it by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus taught him uh, what he preached. And then he said that uh, 14 years after his first visit, and that first visit is recorded over there, I think, in the... Uh, in the uh, uh, ninth chapter where, where Paul on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. He went into to Damascus. Ananias came in and ministered to him, laid hands on him, received his sight, filled with the Holy Ghost. Said he was there for, for many days. And then, and then he left and he went into Arabia and he came back into Damascus and preached for a little while. And then, and then he went to Jerusalem. And that was the, the, the first encounter there that he talks about in Galatians. And then later he said that, uh, that he returned and uh, he said he went up by revelation to the leaders of the church and communicated with them that, he said, that gospel that I preach. Because he understood that there were some significant additions to the gospel that the other apostles weren't preaching. And otherwise, why would he have submitted it to them? Because he said, I presented this to them who were the pillars of the church, you know, the, the, the leading apostles, uh, lest I had run in vain or had, had preached in vain. So he wanted to submit his gospel to the others to get their confirmation because he realized there was something he had that the others didn't have. He wanted to make sure he was, he was right. You know, and that, I appreciate that spirit of humility. Even the apostle Paul, who had direct revelations of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was willing to submit his revelations to the church. And because, you know, he, he recognized the other apostles had the Holy Spirit, and if this was of God, it would bear witness. I, I saw and witnessed that same humility in Kenneth E. Hagin. We talked about this morning the impact Kenneth Hagin uh, has had on the, on the body of Christ and on this church. And, uh, and I knew him, uh, not very close, but I, I had some personal contact with him, had opportunities to sit down with him on several occasions. My wife and I were able to go out and have dinner with him and, and his, you know, he and Sister Hagen and one other couple, just the six of us, you know, we did that on a few occasions. Had opportunities to be with him in the back room of meetings where we would talk. And, uh, and so I, I was able to observe him closely from the, uh, from the congregation as he ministered. I studied his life very carefully, followed that. And then what I knew of him personally, I found him to be a very humble man. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus said the, the, the way to, to get to the top is to go to the bottom. In other words, to humble yourself. And, and submit yourself to others. That is what God causes God to promote you, not self-promotion. And, uh, uh, and so we talked about the impact that, that he made and that he had received this gospel. And, and the reason I'm, I'm telling you this, the, the purpose of all of this, is that our church uh, received impartations just like the churches that Paul preached in, our church received impartations from Kenneth Hagin. And I did personally, and our church has. 
And, uh, but it, but the revelations that God gave Kenneth Hagin, like I talked about this morning, they're all, they're not revelations in the sense that they're beyond scripture or in addition to scripture. They're all found in the scriptures. There isn't any new revelation outside of the word of God. But there is new and deeper understanding of the word of God. And, and over time, the church loses its grasp on certain things and loses understanding and tradition sets in and generation after generation after generation follow and, and the church can drift way off of some of the basic understandings of the New Testament. And so God raised up uh, Kenneth E. Hagin and uh, like I said this morning, in my, in my estimation and as far as I know, there's not been another man in modern times that had the depth of understanding of the word of God and had the, the, the walk with God in the sense that, that he, like, sort of like Moses had said in the Old Testament, that he knew God face to face. Well, Brother Hagin had uh, visitations where Jesus appeared to him and uh, both in, in, in spiritual visions, in uh, trances that, that he experienced. And that's, that's a biblical phenomenon, falling into trances. And then in open visions where Jesus just, you know, appeared and he thought everybody in the room when it was like when he would appear on the platform, he thought everybody in the room saw him because he could see the people in the room, the people he was ministering to. And there stands Jesus just as real if you could reach out and touch him. And, and like I said, he thought everybody could see him but everybody didn't see him, and that was an open vision. So, so Brother Hagen really had an unusual uh, uh, experience, unusual experiences in God. And I know Brother Hagen, in his humility, used to always say, you know, I'm, just an, I'm not a great man. I'm just an ordinary man that, that with a great God. And, and he, would not, he would not appreciate me talking about him today if he was present because anytime he got up in meetings and somebody, he rarely liked anybody to introduce him. Because when people started introducing him, they'd talk about what a great man was, and, and he didn't like that. So he didn't let anybody introduce him. He just, he just would take the pulpit, and, and that's it. Because he didn't like, he said, it's not about me, it's about the ministry. And, uh, uh, you know, he, yes, he was an ordinary man, but God... God moved unusually in his life. I mean, when you're born like he was, and you've read his, the account of his birth, you know, how God, uh, how the devil tried to take his life, at, you know, before he was born and afterwards, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Lord told him about that. He had revelation, you know, when, in, uh, in September of, of 1950 when Jesus appeared to him. He said, the, the devil's tried to take your life many times, but my angels have watched over you until this present hour. I don't, you remember reading that? Uh, you know, when you have experiences like that and then you die and you leave your body and, and go to hell three, time, three times in a day, uh, you know, that's going to make an impact on you. That's going, you're going to be different than other people. And, uh, you know, he had the experience of, of leaving his body and, and going down and then when he ascended and then he would get right to the to the to the portals of hell and a voice would speak from heaven and, and, and this, this power would pull him back out of, out of, the, the, of the darkness up on, into the earth, up on, you know, to the earth and he would enter back into his body. Each time he, he went into his body a different way. 
or he, he, went, he came up at a different place in the, in the house. One time he was in the foot of the bed, another time side of the bed. But you, you've read his stories. Well, you know, that gave him tremendous impact uh, or a tremendous understanding of the spirit world that most people don't start out with that. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the Lord continued to, to uh, reveal himself to him in his lifetime. And, and uh, God raised up Kenneth Hagin for these last days. You remember that Jesus told him in that visitation in uh, September 1915, Rockwell, uh, Texas, in that tent, he said that uh, uh, he told his mother, and this was something Brother Hagin had no knowledge of. He said, before you were born, your mother, you know, he said, I appeared to your mother and told her that fear not, the child will be born and that he will bear witness to my second coming. And so you read that in, in uh, I Believe in Visions. And he, he didn't know anything about that. So uh, the following week after that visitation, his mother, he was back home and his mother came to visit him. And so he told her about the visitation. And, uh, and, and she confirmed and, and, you know, what uh, Jesus had told him. She said, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and so God raised him up. And the ministry he gave him is for these last days. And this is what we're going to be exploring going forward. But... Uh, You know, last Wednesday night I talked about this and I made reference to it this morning just briefly. Uh, I have made this comment over the years not realizing that it would, uh, the Lord just kind of showed me that if we're not careful, we'll get a wrong understanding. I've talked about over the years how that we at Impact Family Church, God has given us certain truths and we emphasize. And I said other churches have to emphasize what they are called to do, but this is what we emphasize. And But I see that it's easy to take that to mean that we have certain, like, like if, if the, the body of New Testament truth, you know, is a, is a pie chart, you know, we, we've got like 30% of that pie chart and that's our part. And that's what we emphasize or some portion thereof. That's not at all true. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize that, I didn't think about it that way, but you could get that opinion and so what the Lord showed me uh, as I started going over all the things that God taught Brother Hagin and the things that he learned by revelation and that is in all of his books, uh, I, I started making a list of all those things that, that Brother Hagin sort of, you know, you could say championed. In other words, he brought these things to the forefront. And it occurred to me for the first time that if you lay that over our statement of faith, it covers almost all of it. Uh, and, I, and I made this statement that, you know, our, our statement of faith. Now, if you're here tonight, if you have a tablet or an iPhone, I want you to go to the internet, find our church app, and then touch our website. Go to our website right now and uh, click on About Us and then drop down and you'll see Statement of Faith. I want you to click on that so that you can follow with me. I did this on Wednesday night, but I wasn't, uh, I, didn't, I didn't have it laid out quite as well uh, as, I, as I could have. And I know that there are people present tonight who were teaching children or doing something else, weren't in here. Uh, there's always a different crowd every time you have service. And I know this is a small crowd, uh, but I'm going to encourage the church that, that was not here tonight. I'm going to encourage them to go back and listen to this message because I want you to see that 
Uh, first of all, our statement of faith. Have you found that? Excuse me? Go to our website. You can go to the, to the Facebook app and then go from there launch to our website. Go to our website, see about us. Click on that. I think that's what it says. And you'll see a drop down. It'll say statement of faith. Click on statement of faith. Has anybody not found that yet? Huh? Is the internet slow tonight? Okay, well, you know, just keep, keep searching. In other words, keep your internet engaged. I mean, your uh, device engaged and it'll bring it up. Could be there's a lot of demand on it right now. <laughs> so uh, that's all right. You know, it's not, it's not a test, you know. Uh, but I, I wanted you to be able to reference that. Uh, and so tonight I have it laid out a little bit better, I think, a little better organized than I did on Wednesday night. Uh, and I pointed out the fact that our statement of faith is very what you would call orthodox. Uh, almost any Bible-believing church will have the same fundamental uh, statement of faith that we have, except for a couple of things, you know, that, that, are a little, that we're a little stronger on. But the basic layout's going to be the same. Amen? Amen. Uh, The reason, I'm, the reason I'm saying this, uh, another reason, or let me present a different way, is the model that has, everybody look at me, the model that has been uh, promoted in, in the church in the last 25, 30 years has been this seeker-sensitive model. And there's a pastor in the suburbs of Chicago by the name of Bill Heibel. His name of this church is Willow Creek Church. And back in the 70s, he pioneered a new approach to ministry, a new church model where he abandoned all of the traditional ways of doing church. And he, he came up with a, a way that he believed would help reach people, un, the unchurched. And, uh, and it was, it was pres, uh, pursued by having a real modern, very contemporary sort of cutting edge style of music that would relate to the kind of music people are listening to on the street, basically. And a multimedia presentation uh, of a lot of technology. And then sermon topics that referred to uh, uh, the cultural interest of people at that time, the cultural interest of unsaved people, using certain catchwords and so forth that, that would kind of uh, uh, attract people based on popular topics in the world, top popular topics in society. And, uh, and he pioneered this model. It, it included, you know, a dress-down format, uh, getting away from anything that looked or felt churchy. And uh, this model slowly took, took hold and grew and grew and uh, became the very, probably the most dominant uh, model for contemporary churches in America and, and in other places in the world. The only difficulty there is, the problem is, about nine years ago, uh, uh, Pastor Heibel and his staff conducted an internal church survey where they began to evaluate what they were doing. And they found out that there was a very low degree of 
Bible knowledge in their church. And they discovered that they had presented a, just a surface level Christianity. That, there was, that they didn't go deep in anything and come to find out after all of these years, people have been in their church 30 years, didn't know the basic themes of the Bible. Didn't know the deeper truths. Didn't, didn't know, they, they could not even relate to a statement of faith like this. And, he, and, and so in 2008, he proposed that we've got to do something. We have to change. And so he started, and I don't know, I've been studied to find, up if, find out if he fell, uh, fell, followed through with this. But he said, we've got to start teaching some theology classes on Wednesday nights and start training our people about what the Bible says about the great truths of, you know, that are in it. Uh, but, you know, that, that ship had already sailed. And so even though that happened nine years ago, churches are continuing to, 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 to uh, forge ahead with that same model, and it's a broken model. And you see it today in, in churches, you know, they have a, uh, this, uh, you know, steroidal uh, band, music band. It's like rock band on, on you know, stimulants. I, we, were, we were at an RMAI uh, function a few years ago and, and the host church, you know, the, the pastor of here in Florida that hosted it, he had his band, you know, during praise and worship. And I'm telling you what, it was, it was, as, it was as good a show you'd get anywhere in the world at a rock concert. I just remember this drummer, it was a female drummer, and she had uh, sort of semi-long blonde hair and she played the drums and she whirled her head like this and her hair just swirled and swirled and swirled. And I mean, she was, I can't even demonstrate it. It would hurt me. If I, I thought if I did that, I'd have to go to the chiropractor next week. And, and it was such a show. And, and this has become sort of the common way it's done. Have this, you know, real like, you know, rock band on steroids, you know, and, and uh, type approach to ministry and, and, and uh, sermons that, again, just, just draw there, you know what a sermon is? A sermon is a homily. It's just a, it's just a, a, a talk that's based on a, an idea that is fleshed out with different points, you know, but it might not teach the Bible at all. And, and what we don't understand a lot of times is these churches all, these pastors aren't coming up with these catchy titles themselves. They're not telling their congregation. Their congregation thinks they are, but they're not. I, just this past week, a friend of ours uh, had, had, was doing a teaching in, in their church and it was about toxic emotions. Toxic emotions. Now that's, that's an unusual, I'd never heard that expression before, but you can assume what toxic emotions are. They would be, you know, fear and, and, and uh, huh? Anger and uh, what else? Huh? Jealousy, what? Hatred, uh, poor self-image, self-loathing. You know, there's, so you can just assume. I, never, I didn't listen to it. I just realized that she, you know, that this teacher was teaching and it was about toxic emotions. And then in the same week, I was looking at another website in another completely different town and the title of the message wasn't on toxic revelations, but when you read down in what it was about, it was about to toxic emotions. 
Now, how many of you think that's a coincidence? No, there is, a, there is a service out there. There is a sites that you can go to and you can download these sermons. I know a few years ago, a church you know, in the area had this campaign, I love my church. They had t-shirts with a big heart on it. You know, I love my church. I had the banners and everything. And, but the problem was there was 100 churches in America doing that very thing that same week. That was part of a, it was part of a program. And uh, these things don't really teach the Bible. These kinds of messages don't impart real truth in the Bible. They, 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 bring, they bring out ideas that are compatible with the Bible and they'll make a reference to a scripture. You know, you can reference a scripture in preaching and, and it's not always wrong to do that. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it's good just to preach a, a sermon where you have different points and, and, and you can pull out some things. And, and, but when you reference a scripture like that, you're not really teaching in depth on that scripture. But, the, but the, the model that God introduced through Kenneth Hagin was in-depth teaching of the Bible, taking the great themes of the Bible and preaching on them instead of the great themes of today and trying to make the Bible apply to them. Do you see the difference? And, uh, and so as I was, like I said, I, I had this thought and I realized that people could get the idea that we are, uh, you know, we have a little slice of the pie of the overall truth of the Bible, but everyone's statement of faith in any church, your statement of faith is basically a broad uh, uh, picture of the Bible and it, and it covers all the great themes of the Bible. Like I said, many churches, uh, uh, particularly Bible-believing churches, evangelical uh, you know, uh, type churches that, that really believe in people being saved, they'll have a statement of faith that's similar to this. Well, I got to looking at all of the things that Brother Hagin taught and I, and I placed them in their different places and I saw that Brother Hagin's ministry focused on the full Bible, not on just little pieces of the Bible. I talked about this morning like, you know, our, our first uh, uh, statement of faith, our first point is the scriptures. And, uh, you know, everybody believes that the scriptures are God-inspired, that they're infallible, that uh, you know they are the final authority and so forth. But like I said this morning, most people say that, but in practice they don't believe it because they actually believe their circumstances and what they experience trumps the Bible. Because if God says, you know, uh, by his stripes you were healed and they, their body says they're not healed, well, they say, well, then I'm not healed. Well, either one or the other is gonna have to be true. Either our circumstances are true or what the Bible says is true. And so the word of faith movement, Brother Hagin somewhat bristled uh, against that, or that term, the word of faith. When he would talk about it, he'd say, well, I don't like to use the word of faith uh, because even though that's in the Bible, it's a New Testament expression. He said, I like to just say the word of God movement because the word of faith movement was all about the the final authority of God's word that it says what it means and you can take it to the bank and if you'll believe it and act on it, everything else will change to come into obedience with the word of God, amen? Then you go down to the Godhead and uh, you know, the, our, our statement of faith talks about the, the, that we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, God exists in, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I have found out, because I, I grew up in church, 
and, uh, and, and came from a long heritage of, of, uh, of church-going people and Bible-believing people. We believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we really didn't know much about the Father. The Father was more of, a, of an idea. We believed God, there, God existed, you know, in the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, but our relationship was only with Jesus. And, and to a much lesser degree, but to some degree with the Holy Spirit because we were Pentecostals and we experienced the, the demonstrations of the Spirit and we, we were aware when the Spirit would move on us. But as far as knowing the Spirit as a person and particularly knowing Father, we, it was all about Jesus. We, we didn't pray to the Father. We prayed to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, you know, grant my request. Jesus, give me $100. Jesus, help me pay my bills. Jesus, help me with my husband. Jesus, help. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. Kenneth Hagin, one of the fundamental truths that he brought in teaching on prayer is we don't pray to Jesus. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, if you are younger and you've been raised in this, you might not understand how significant that is. But I'm telling you, from former days, growing up, and many of you come from different churches, there was never any revelation about the Father. It was all about Jesus. Now, we love Jesus, and we, and we sing praises to Jesus, and he's our Savior. But Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. That's why he came. He came to tell us about the Father and to show us that he was, that he is our Father and we are his very sons and his very children and we can relate to him as Father. That was a truth that Kenneth Hagin uh, uh, really uh, championed all of his life and, and it wasn't in, by and large, in, in large measure, it wasn't. That revelation was not in the church years ago. Amen. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, Brother Hagin talked about uh, our, the fact that we're sons and not servants. I grew up, you know, believing that, yeah, we're, we're, we're the children of God, but really we just serve God. And if we serve him enough, we'll get to go to heaven. And, uh, and we found out that, that it, that's not it at all. We're going to heaven because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but he has, we've been born again and we've become his children and we can look to God as our father and he will care for us and, and bless us and provide for us more than any earthly father ever, ever would, amen? Uh, the, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, uh, uh, Brother Hagin talked about that and demonstrated that, you know, that Jesus was God. And, and uh, Brother Hagin brought a lot uh, uh, to us about the Holy Spirit, the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. He presented the Holy Spirit as not just some sort of vague influence, but that the Holy Spirit directed us and, and worked with us. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Look at that. I, just wondered, I wonder what everybody was looking at. <laughs> praise the Lord. Let's go to, the, to, uh, to uh, are you at Jesus Christ? Yeah. Jesus Christ, uh, his humanity and deity. Well, we understood that in vague terms, and the body of Christ understands that in vague terms, but they don't really understand the importance and the significance of his humanity as well as his deity. Other than the, the, the classical church just believes that, that there was a miracle, you know, in Bethlehem and, and the virgin conceived and bore Christ and he was the son of God and it was a miracle that, you know, that, uh, 
that Christ came and took on flesh. But we weren't taught at all about why that's important. That because man was fallen, a man had to come and redeem us back. It couldn't have been, God could not have worked outside of humanity to redeem humanity because humanity, uh, man failed and man would have to get it back. Well, we learned all of that uh, through the influence of Kenneth Hagin. I'm telling you, the things that we know were not in the church prior to uh, brothers, Brother Hagin's going, his, his ministry going, uh, really catching hold and begin, beginning to be promoted uh, in America and around the world. Let's go to the next one, the fall of man and redemption. Well, let's go, let's go back to Jesus Christ before we go further. Uh, you know, Brother Hagin talk, taught us very much in depth about uh, Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, you know, how that he emptied himself, became a man, and then, and then he took upon himself the sins of this world. But not just the sins, the consequences of sin. See, that's, even though I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church that believed in divine healing, I never saw that the consequences of sin were born by Jesus as well as the sin. I never really, it was never taught to me that Jesus bore my sickness, that he bore my uh, failure, my, my defeat in life, that he bore my poverty, that all of the fear and condemnation, all of the consequences of sin was placed on him and I didn't have to have these things. Basically, the church sort of promoted a lot of these things that, that we, you know, we should feel guilty and we should uh, pay for our, our faults. You know, and if we do wrong, we're gonna just have to suffer you know, because we, you know, we failed God. Uh, thank God for the revelation that Brother Hagin bought, brought. And then uh, our, our, our statement of faith, like so many, reads about you know, Jesus as our advocate and high priest. Oh my goodness. What a wonderful passage of scripture, 1 John 1, 9, that Brother Hagin brought the, the, the depth of it, of it out, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, I grew up in church. We felt like, yeah, you're saved, but if you sin more than a couple of times, you're, you're not going in the rapture. And you have to get saved again. We thought we got saved ever as a child every time a revival came. I can't even count all the times. You know what I'm talking about. I can't count all the times I, I thought I got saved. But the truth is you can only get saved once. We don't, God doesn't throw us out when we do wrong. We have an advocate with the Father. And he, in his high priestly ministry, he was, he's always there representing us. I never heard that. Never knew anything about that until I read the teachings of Kenneth Hagin. Let's go on to the fall of man and redemption. Oh my goodness. We, we learned through Brother Hagin about uh, the, the, the dominion that God gave. I, I told my wife today, in growing up in church, I never heard it preached that God created man and gave him dominion over the earth. I never heard that in my life. I never heard it. That he actually gave man dominion and that man was created to exercise authority over all of the works of God. Said, never heard that. And it's right there in the Bible. And, and, and you know, we talked about the fall of man in, in our church, and we talked that Jesus came, you know, to redeem us, but he didn't, they didn't tell us what he redeemed us from and what he redeemed us into. I got a book by Brother Hagin very early in my, in my Christian wall. It was entitled Redeemed from the Curse of the Law. 
redeemed from the curse of poverty, sickness, and death. I read that, and I tell you, I wanted to run around the room. I realized, wait, I've, I've not just been redeemed. I didn't know what redeemed meant. I thought I did. To what it meant to me was I got saved. I've been redeemed. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. They're the same thing, and that means I'm going to heaven. But then I found out that Jesus purchased my freedom from all of the curse and all the bondage that came through the fall of man. Oh, glory to God. Changed my life, changed your life. Amen. I talked about the new birth this morning. We didn't know about the new birth. Uh, we, we didn't know about righteousness. That was another eye. Was it not an eye-opening thing to you to discover that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ? Did you hear that in your old church? No. And you didn't hear it in Pentecostal churches or any other kind of church. I think a lot of times the preachers thought that if they just keep everybody under condemnation, they can keep them under control, you know, keep them under their thumb. But glory to God, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Brother Hagin was, was one that God used to bring such truth to the body of Christ. He taught us new creation realities, who we are in Christ, what belongs to us, what Christ is doing for us at the right hand of the Father, what his word will do in us, what his spirit of God will do in us. We, we learned about our authority. Oh my goodness, changed my, I keep saying all these things changed my life. They all did. I mean, they all had different, different contributions to, the, to the, the, the reestablishing of me as a Christian. Uh, oh my goodness, the, the authority of the believer, the fact that we can walk in victory. I never heard it preached, never in my life. If I did, they, they didn't make it clear because I don't remember anything about ever hearing that I was raised with Christ, that I ascended with him and that I was seated with him, that I was enthroned at God's right hand. Who far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name does. I never heard that. It's right there in the New Testament. How could we have not known it? It's because we got sermons every week. Come on. Praise the Lord. I found out that we had an inheritance in redemption that included uh, our, you know, our, our authority, our victory, our healing, our prosperity, uh, all of those things, we, we learned about the name of Jesus. In a way, the name of Jesus, we really didn't use correctly in our church. I, so, I told this Wednesday night, when we prayed, we would pray to, to, to God and we would say, for G usually we prayed to Jesus. Most of the time we, play, we prayed to Jesus. But when we prayed to, to the Father, we prayed to God. We didn't really, I don't know. There was just wasn't an understanding of that tender nature of, of God. We looked at God, you know, as that mean, big old, you know, old looking guy, white hair and, you know, with lightning and, and he was God. Now, Jesus was tender because he was like us. But God wanted to stay away from him, you know. But, and so we really didn't pray to him very often, but when, when we did, we, we didn't pray to the Father, we prayed to God. And then we'd, just, we'd say, for Jesus' sake, we pray. I don't know if anybody else experienced this, but that was, that was very common. For Jesus' sake, we pray. And, and you know, it, it came as an enlightenment to me that we don't pray for Jesus' sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Because to pray for Jesus' sake, we're, we're praying that God will do something for Jesus based on us, that we'll stand good for what the Father can do for Jesus. 
Well, that's not going to work. No, it's what, it's what God the Father will do for us. And Jesus is the, is the, is the one that, that uh, uh, provides that. Isn't that right? So anyway, we, we got straightened out on a lot of things. Praise the Lord. Now, water baptism uh, this is the next one in the Lord's Supper. Brother Hagin didn't really pr- present a whole lot of uh, deeper truths on, on water baptism, but he acknowledged bab- water baptism. He talked about people being baptized, so, so he, he confirmed and, and agreed with these things. But he did teach us some things about the Lord's Supper. I remember when we first started our church in the farmhouse in Fort White, one of the first messages I taught was on communion, and I talked about the fact that uh, Paul said uh, that, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to pull this up now in my mind, you know, where, where it talks about, uh, uh, oh, help me, help me. Let me go over there. I just, my mind's going too fast. Go over to 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup after supper, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, this do in, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he said, uh, for this reason, many are sick and weakly among you and many sleep for not discerning the Lord's body. I know the first time I taught that there's more to learn discerning the Lord's body than just discerning the fact that he died for our sins. Discerning the Lord's body includes discerning the fact that his body was broken for our healing. I remember a man, the first time I preached that, man came up to me, he said, I've been going to church all my life it was Ken. He said, I've been going to church all my life. I've never knew that before. That communion provided, that there was healing, physical healing provided and typified in communion. Well, what a wonderful truth. I never heard that either. In fact, over the years, I, could, I can't remember right now particularly, but there are people all in this congregation over the years, and I just heard this, this is remind, what reminds me is I heard it this week. Heard it this week from somebody who's just been coming here for a few months. This person told me, I'm, he said, Pastor, I'm so, I love this church so much. He said, I've learned so much since I've been here. I've heard that said to me over and over and over throughout the years. Many of you have said that. Well, well what, what does that mean? That means the things that, that God has given us through Kenneth Hagin were not available outside the revelation. In other words, they were available in the Bible, but no churches were preaching them. That's why so many of you, when you came here, you said, boy, this, you know, this is, I've learned so much. Well, we owe Kenneth Hagin a great debt in that regard. Of course, God through him. And then we would come down to the Holy Ghost. Oh, my goodness. Whew. One big thing, the Pentecostals, they understood the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they understood that speaking with tongues is the initial physical evidence. But I told my wife, I said, the church that I came out of, their doctrine today, and it always read this, and it still reads this way today, it says, we believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit subsequent to a clean heart. That's the way the document reads. That's the way most Pentecostal denominations believe it. In other words, not subsequent to the new birth, but subsequent to something in addition to the new birth, a clean heart, which means you've got to be quote unquote sanctified beyond being born again. You've got to go into it through another step, another process of getting cleaned up sufficiently to, to, to be worthy of the Holy Spirit. 
Brother Hagin taught us, if you're born again, you're worthy. If you've been born again, you're cleaned up. Amen? Well, that's not what we knew. And so my wife's mother was a, was a, 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 a pastor's wife for all those years in, in this church all those years, and she's not filled with the Holy Spirit today. She's never spoken with tongues, never been filled with the Spirit. She never felt like she was good enough. She never measured up. The fact is, she measured up from the time she made Jesus the Lord of her life. He caused her to be made. He said that, that, that uh, he said, you, you, you are, uh, what does it say in Colossians? Uh, uh, come on, help me out. Colossians 1. Qualified. Yes, thank you. He has qualified you to partake of the inheritance. We don't qualify ourselves. He qualifies us. And so, so many people in Pentecostal churches struggled because they didn't feel like they measured up and they, and they needed the Holy Spirit to help them with their sanctification. But they're waiting on getting their lives all cleaned up. Amen. Well, praise God. We were taught tarrying. In Pentecostal circles, we believe in the Holy Ghost, but you had to tarry and tarry and tarry and tarry. Just wait, brother, and just keep on tarrying, you know. People give their testimonies. Well, you know, I've baptized the Holy Ghost. I sought the Holy Ghost for 15 years. You know, that, was, that made you really special because you really hung in there and tarried. And uh, we found out through Brother Hagin's teaching that all that's a bunch of nonsense. Brother Hagin said, you, one guy stood up in one of his churches and testified and said, I've been, you know, I've been seeking God for, you know, for so many years. Brother Hagin said, you haven't been seeking God. You've just been hanging around the altar because the Bible says he who seeks finds. If you haven't found him, then you've just been wasting your time. Well, praise the Lord. Brother Hagin taught us the wonderful truths of the Holy Spirit within, the Holy Spirit upon, and then how to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, we have that book, How to Be Led by the Spirit of God. But before that book was published, the first book I read was a little book published in the 70s, How You Can Know the Will of God. And he taught those very same principles and truths he just did in more detail later when he came out with the book, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. But what a life-changing knowledge that came into our lives. And again, this is all, it's all right in line with our basic uh, orthodox doctrine that everybody has, but they don't understand the depth of these things. Uh, we were taught about the fruit of the Spirit the gifts of the Spirit. Brother Hagin taught us so much about the gifts of the Spirit, what they are, how they operate, gave us illustrations in his own life, demonstrations of the Spirit. I grew up in Pentecostal church, and, and as a youngster, the, the, some, a lot of that power was waning as I was growing up when I came into my teenage years. But in, in the earlier, you know, 60s and late 50s, you know, when I was, con you know, when I was old enough to remember these things, uh, some of the demonstrations that Pentecostals had, it was, kind of, it was kind of fading out. But my grandparents and parents talked about some tremendous things that happened, but they didn't teach about it. They, they told us stories about it, but they didn't show us in the Bible. Brother Hagin went through and showed us from the Word of God where people ran under the, under the influence of the Holy Ghost and where people fell under the influence of the Holy Ghost and where, and where people danced, where it was scriptural to dance in the Holy Ghost. He taught us the truths about those things. And that's why they will continue among us because we know, we know that they're, they're, they're founded in Scripture. Whereas the Pentecostal churches have basically lost all of that. 
Now there's some there's some different you know there's some churches that are uh, <coughs> exceptions to that rule, but by and large the Pentecostal denominations have lost the power of God because they didn't get teaching. Uh, we and that brings me to ministry gifts. That's under the category of the Holy Ghost. When when I was a child and most of you the churches you came from there were two ministries: the pastor and the evangelist. Isn't that right? As far as professional ministries, full-time ministers. Now you had staff people, you had minister of music and you had you know, Christian education director and all that. But as far as a biblical desk definition of ministry, there were only two, pastors and evangelists. We believed that apostles and prophets, now in the early days of Pentecost, they believed in those. But as time progressed, like I said, there were early Pentecostal writers that, that, raw, that, uh, that wrote about these things. Donald G. has an excellent book uh, published, you know, in the, in the 30s, I guess, on ministry gifts and goes into all of this. But Christ, Pentecostal people weren't very well read. And they were, they were experience-oriented, and so they didn't understand these things. And by the time I came along, if you, if you claimed to be an apostle or prophet, you were, you know, something wrong with you. Mark that man just because he says he's a prophet, you know. Well, uh, they didn't, we didn't believe that prophets and apostles still existed. Then the teacher's ministry. Brother Hagen came on the scene. He was both a prophet and a teacher. And the thing that, that really catapulted, hit, cat, is that right? catapulted, catapulted his ministry was his teaching ministry. And we saw that there were people who were actually called as full-time ministers and their office was that of a teacher. So Brother Hagen was able to bring out and demonstrate uh, these five-fold offices to us. Glory to God. Never heard the term five-fold office until Brother Hagen taught it. Uh, then again, like I said, the spirit world. You know, when you die and go to hell three times and are raised from the dead and leave your body and come back into your body, you're just gonna have some understanding about the spirit world that other people don't have. And, uh, and he was able to, uh, to uh, uh, reveal those things to us. He was called up into heaven. Uh, he saw the glory of God, described the glory of God. I never heard about the glory of God growing up. Did you? No. The ministry of angels. Brother Hagin talked about, you know, this angel of, you know, Jesus is talking to him and there's this angel and he said, well, who is that? And Jesus, that's your angel. Brother Hagin said, what do you mean my angel? He said, well, that's your angel. Everybody, every, every person gets an angel when they're born and this is your angel and he'll be your angel throughout the rest of your life. Well, he talked about uh, encounters the, that he had in, uh, with, with angels. And then, you know, the topic of prayer, my goodness. Like I said this morning, spirit, soul, and body. What a tremendous revelation that was. I, you, 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 if you're honest, the old church you used to go to, their man was a two-part man. He was body and soul. Isn't that right? Body and soul. And the body always came first because people are more body conscious than they are God conscious. But it was body and soul. The inward man was the soul. We, we, talked, we never talked about people being born again. I mentioned that this morning. We, all talked, we always talked about people being saved which is scriptural, we should talk about that, but we didn't have an understanding of what that meant, that it was a rebirth of the human spirit. We didn't know what the human spirit was. I, when, when we always talked about so many souls got saved. Yeah, we had evangelistic crusade and 35 souls were saved. We were praying for souls to be saved and it was souls, souls. I never heard anybody refer 
to themselves or, or to refer to the spirit of man. Now, you can go in churches, not only full gospel churches, but in non-denominational churches and, and, and classical churches, and you hear people saying things, well, you know, I just, I just sense in my spirit or uh, I believe in my spirit. I never heard anybody ever say that in my life. That, I, that I, anything about my spirit, I believe, you know, I sense in my spirit. That just wasn't, it wasn't knowledge. Till Kenneth Hagin came teaching on spirit, soul, and body. And it has revolutionized the church, praise God. Uh, like I said, prayer to the Father in Jesus' name. The different kinds of prayer. The prayer of faith. The prayer of commitment. Most of us believed that we prayed, if it be thy will. Were you raised to believe that you pray, if it be thy will? Sure you were. I don't care what church you went to. You pray every prayer, and at the end of every prayer, you pray, if it be thy will, and that's why your prayers never got answered. Because you're, you're in unbelief when you do that. You don't know if it's God's will or not. So you say, well, if it be thy will. Well, he's not gonna answer prayers like that. Thank God Brother Hagin came along teaching the different kinds of prayer, the rules that govern the prayer of faith, the prayer of commitment. That's the only prayer that it's uh, suitable to pray, if it be thy will. The prayers of intercession, the prayer of agreement, the prayer of, uh, of uh, you know, discerning the will of God in prayer. Praying in the spirit. How many of you have, have when you started coming to this church, got the little book, why tongues? Was that not revolutionary when you got it? Ten reasons why every believer should speak with other tongues? I'm telling you, we, we, we came from a tongue-talking church, but we didn't know anything about those reasons. We just tarried and tarried and tarried till we wore ourselves out. It never happened to me because I, I, I just never got there. I, I didn't get filled with the Spirit until I, until I began to understand some things. It wasn't, wasn't directly through Brother Hagin's teaching, but I think I was influenced by it. But I just got to the place where I said, God, I was understanding faith. And I said, God, if your word is true, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost right now, and I'm going to speak with other tongues. But that wasn't common. And uh, Brother Hagin talked in that wonderful book that's been read by untold millions. The fact that we can pray in, in the Spirit when we want to. I told you about that. You know, my relatives that said, oh, no, you can't pray in the Spirit anytime you want to. That would be blasphemy. Well, thank God we can. Amen. Uh, worship, worship comes under the, the category of prayer. Worshiping in the Spirit. One of the great truths that Jesus brought was that Jesus said that, that the day is coming when men will worship in spirit and in truth. And he taught us, you know, if you got, I, I believe in, uh, not I believe in visions, but plans, purposes, and pursuits, he talks extensively about worshiping in the Spirit, ministering to the Lord, the place of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, uh, tongues in worship, God's presence and God's glory. Oh, my goodness. So much that's been contributed to us we've received through that man. I'll, I'll, I'll close out here pretty quickly. Obviously, our next one is faith, healing, and prosperity. Now, this is one that's not in very many uh, statements of faith, but in our, in our movement, we set it as a, as a separate uh, 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 statement. Uh, goodness, how faith comes. We thought, well, you know, some people just have faith. I talked to Angela's uncle yesterday and his and her aunt, they're both, he's about 80 and she's, all, she's about 79 and a half. Oh, 90. Yeah, he's almost 90. He'll be 90 in two weeks and, his, and her aunt will be 90 in about six months. And she's not doing very well. She's just, you know, she, they'll never hear this, so I can say this. Uh, 
you know, she's, she's in bed all the time. She's weak. She's sick. And, and on the phone, he said, you know, Edwin, he said, I just, I just have to believe there's somebody that God can send my way that will, that will be able to pray faith and, and have faith to raise my wife up. And he told me about somebody years ago when she had, rheumat- I think, rheumatism or something, that she was, you know, in such bad shape. And an evangelist came to town. He didn't even know this man, but they were talking, and he told this evangelist about uh, Angela's Aunt Bobby. And uh, this evangelist said, can I pray for her? And they said, sure. And he prayed for her, and she was healed instantly. He said, I'm looking for somebody like that. I thought, you know, I could, I could try to teach him, but at 90 years old, I haven't found that to be real successful. And particularly when, when they're your elders, you know, in your family. When I first started out, I, I first stayed with her aunt and uncle in 1974 when Greg was a baby. He had, ju- I mean, just been born. I was transferred to New Orleans to work when I worked with a phone company. And I stayed with her uncle, uh, Virgil and Aunt Bobby stayed in their home just right off Canal Street, famous Canal Street that goes right downtown. You just come out from their door, catch a cable car, go downtown, two blocks away, get off. There was a telephone office. If you went across Canal the other way, a couple of blocks, you were in the French Quarter. Nasty place to be. Uh, but I stayed with them, you know, during that time for about three months, and I'm just a, a young Christian. Well, you know, your elders a lot of times never are able to get a beyond thanking you of certain ways. And I've always, you know, sensed that. So I know I'm not going to be able to help him. But I thought, oh, oh man, there's so much, there's so much you've missed about faith, how it comes, and, and, and the difference between faith and hope. Almost the entire church world prays in hope. And they think they, if, if, they, if they have the presence of mind, you know, scripturally to think about faith, they think that's faith. They're praying and they're hoping and just they're looking for something down the road to happen. Brother Hagin so eloquently and so completely identified that faith killer praying in hope instead of faith. It, it kills our faith. The confession of faith. Confession brings possession. One of the, one of the old fundamental teachings that he taught from way back, you know, in the, in the 40s. Confession brings possession. He taught us how to live by faith. He taught us about healing and the redemptive work of Christ, that it's God's will. And, and all of this, it's not just Brother Hagin taught it. This is all in the Bible. The denomination that I came out of, now we were full gospel people and we believed in divine healing. Here's, the what, here's what the statement of faith of my, uh, uh, of my denomination said about healing. It said, we believe that healing is provided for all in the atonement. Well, we know that the word atonement is an Old Testament word. Our, our statement of faith used to read the same way until a number of years ago. We just changed that one word to in God's redemptive plan, I think. Is that the way it reads? The redemptive work of Christ, not, not the atonement. The redemptive work of Christ provides not only salvation but healing and prosperity as well. So, you know, not arguing over just a word, but my church... Pentecostal church believed that healing is provided for all in the atonement. I, re- now, I, was, I was raised in that church, Church of God. I researched the assemblies of God, 
Church of God and Assemblies of God are the two biggest. By far, Assembly of God is way larger than the Church of God. But the Church of God and the Assembly of God are the two largest. But I, I researched Pentecostal holiness. I researched uh, uh, Church of the Four Square Gospel, other Pentecostal groups. Every single one of them has that verbiage in their statement of faith that healing is provided for all in the atonement. But they don't believe it. They didn't believe it in my day. See, the old timers knew it. But over time, you know, I know in our church, they absolutely won't change their doctrine. Even though they don't believe those things, they won't change it because they have to admit they're backslidden if they do. So they never change anything. But the way it was taught in Bible schools from the 40s on was that, yeah, healing is provided in the atonement unless he decides not to heal you. You see, when the old, the old timers knew better, but when Pentecostal groups, not just Church of God, but when Pentecostal groups, how long have I been going here? An hour and a half? Have I? About an hour? Okay, I'll wrap this up in, in about another hour. No, <laughs> when Pentecostal groups started developing their Bible colleges, they conferred, master, you know, first of all, bachelor degrees and master degrees but they're basically conferring degrees upon themselves. And for, for a university to begin to have status in academia, you have to have PhDs, you have to have a certain percentage of PhDs in different fields in order to be recognized. Well, like Lee College used, used to be, now it's Lee University, in order to, to move up in academia, we, we had to get some of our, our professors, they had to get doctorate degrees. Well, you couldn't get doctorate degrees in Pentecostal Bible schools because nobody there had them and they couldn't confer them. And so they had to go outside Pentecostal schools and go to other denominations, theological seminaries to get their PhDs in religion or Old Testament or whatever, you know, uh, different areas of ministry. But the problem is along the way, they lost a lot of their uh, Pentecostal distinctives. They came back from that, from going to these other universities and they got their PhDs and they got their, their, uh, their letters and so forth, but they lost a lot of truth. They brought a lot of compromise with them. And so beginning in the 1940s or so, and, and especially in the 50s, the pastors that were coming out of Lee University and, and the Assemblies of God School, same thing, they were no longer being taught, even though it was in our doctrine, they were taught that, like the other denominations believe, well, God heals you if he wants to. But, you know, I, I tried to, to make this point to some of my relatives one time in, in that, you know, in our, in our uh, old denomination. I said, now listen, if healing is provided for all in the atonement or in the finished work of Christ, it could no longer, I mean, it could, it could no more be not God's will to heal you then it would be not God's will to save you. Because salvation, the new birth, is provided in the finished work of Christ. And it's for everyone. Well, if healing is in that same finished work of Christ, then it has to be for everyone too, or else it's not in the finished work of Christ. So our churches, we didn't, there was a disconnect there. Thank God Brother Hagen, you know, really brought this out. And, and proclaim the truth that healing 
is in the finished work of Christ. It has been bought and paid for, not on my credit, but on his credit. Not based on what I do, just like my salvation's not based on me, my healing's not based on me. My prosperity is not based on me. In both of those things, we have things we need to do to cooperate, but the power of it is not based in me, it's in God and what he's provided. Glory to God. Same thing with, uh, you know, Brother Hagin taught us about that. He talked about special gifts, you know, of healing and how God works through special anointings because he, he could demonstrate those things, the laying on of hands. He had a ministry of laying on of hands that nobody heard of. It, never, it wasn't practice. He ran into a lot of trouble in his ministry in those days that he was in the churches because he had a ministry of laying on of hands for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people didn't like it. Pastors didn't like it. They didn't believe in it. They thought it was not scriptural. But if you go to the New Testament, you see that people were filled with the Holy Spirit when hands were laid on them. It's not the only way they were filled, but hands were laid on people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul laid his hands on those 12, you know, in Ephesus and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. So Brother Hagin just, you know, he, God used him in such a tremendous way to bring about truths of, of prosperity. It's our redemptive right. He also taught a very balanced prosperity. He didn't teach getting into the ditch in prosperity. Now, we've added the next one, marriage and sexuality. Brother Hagin did do minister's seminars on marriage and sexuality, but uh, not widely distributed in the church. We'll move down to the church. Brother Hagin taught us so much about the body of Christ, uh, about ministerial ethics regarding the church. He, he, he was a champion of the local church. He believed in the local church. Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits, that wonderful book, is all about following God's plan in your own individual life and in the life of the church. Of course, he had another book, Following God's Plan for Your Life, that dealt with these things. And, uh, and, and as far as the return of the Lord, now the last one, the resurrection and the eternal state, Brother Hagin didn't reveal a whole lot about that. His, his ministry didn't focus on that very much. Uh, but he consistently confirmed, you know, the fact that, that we will be raised up, you know, and uh, the things that happen after that in the eternal state. But Brother Hagin had a lot to say about the return of the Lord. He talked about in that vision in 1950, the Lord said, judgment is coming. He said, uh, and judgment's going to begin in the house of God first. He said, but I'm going to catch my church away before it gets bad. And he talked about that there's coming an end time revival. And uh, that will precede the coming of the Lord. Brother Hagin talked extensively about that. So when you look over our statement of faith, which is a very common, broad theological statement, Brother Hagin's influence is all over the place. It's in virtually every category. And so these things that we emphasize in our church, we don't, we don't have like a little piece of the pie. We have deeper understanding on the whole pie. That's the point I'm trying to get you to see. And I think maybe I've, I've communicated that wrong in the past. Uh, our, our doctrine is well, uh, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's broad-based. It's not narrowly based. It's broad-based. And Brother Hagen, God used him to bring clarity and understanding in so many things and, and uh, this is why our church follows his teachings.
Because it's not about the man, it's about the teaching that he brought that God used him to restore to the church. And it's for these last days. It absolutely, the things we believe, we cannot help but to continue to be a voice for these things, to speak, because other people are not speaking them. I mean, there's so many Word of Faith churches, former Word of Faith churches that were spirit-filled churches, and they've, they've turned away from this. I was looking at a video this past week of one of the Holy Ghost meetings, and I think it was, actually, I think it was Winter Bible in 96, and Angela and I, there's a section in there where you see us falling over in, a, in, a, in, a, in one of the pews, you know. But Brother Hagan, you know, there was all of these demonstrations of the Spirit. And I, and I watched that the other day, and I watched this pastor. I said, now that pastor right there, here he is laughing in the Spirit, dancing in the Spirit, yielding to the Holy Ghost. As soon as Dad died, he turned against all of those things. In his church, they don't allow that. They don't, they don't advocate that. Thinking, what, what in the world happened? I'll tell you what happened. I'll just give you a hint. People say we're following a man. They were following a man. We're following a ministry. Because if you're following a man, when the man dies, you got to find somebody else to follow. It wasn't just a few months after Dad Hagen went to heaven, there was a leading pastor, one of the large, he's a Raymond grad, one of the large churches, I think it's in Detroit, a huge church, well-known church. He got up in, and this is, no, this is not criticism of Kenneth Copeland. I don't mean this in, in, in this way. But just to point out, he got up in one of Brother Copeland's meetings and said, you know, Kenneth E. Hagan was my spiritual father. But now, Brother Copeland, you're my spiritual father. And I thought, why in the world would you need another spiritual father? You know, you don't get to choose your spiritual father. Your spiritual father is the man that, that, that like Timothy, that... that that God put in your life that brought truth to you. I, my, you know, Jesus is the head of the church, but my spiritual father is Kenneth E. Hagan. I'm not looking for somebody else. And so many of, of word of faith people, when Dad Hagan died, they said, well, that era is over. That's, that's a common expression. That's the way it said. That era is over. Now God's doing something else. No, no, God's not doing something else. He's still doing this. And our, and our movement's based on this. It's not based on a man, it's based on this. God just used a man to bring us the truth of these things. So this is, this is part of what, uh, what the Lord has shown me, and I'll explain more about it as we go further. But uh, lest you think, you know, that, that we, you know, sort of have a, a little, you know, we... we we've, we major on side issues or small matters. No, we, made, we major on the whole package. We major on the whole body of truth. And thank God, thank God for the understanding we've received. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.